What's happening, people? It's another episode of The Giants, guys. It's that podcast you love to hate, and this is a completely off-the-grid recording because we've got something special for you guys. I'm going to get a couple guys in here. Of course, you know Spartan Mike. I'm going to add in Zane. And guys, Giants Nation. I know you, you guys can't control yourselves. I can't either. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked right now. Um, so got a special guest for you guys. Normally we record on Tuesdays, um, but got a special guest for you guys, which is super cool. Um, we talk a lot of football here every week and we interview giants legends, you know, two, three times a month. Um, but today, um, we are going to welcome to the show, former Rams, Giants and Cardinals QB, Super Bowl winning MVP, two-time, not once, two-time NFL MVP and Hall of Fame class of 2017. Guys, welcome in. Bang. Kurt Warner. Hey guys. I'm so excited to actually talk to you, man. I am like, I have, I'm just pumped. It's because like you're the quarterback guru. We have so much. <laughs> polarizing quarterback stuff going on in Giants land. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. I'm excited for the season, as I know you guys are, to try to get some some questions oh, yeah. answered and see how this thing's going to play out. But uh, oh. but I'm excited. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Yes, definitely. I asked Kurt if he was playing golf, and he says no, because he's working all the time. So you can catch Kurt everywhere, yeah, pretty much. Just jump in real quick. Kurt, thank you so much. Humbled. I uh, just can't say enough. I've been harassing Kurt for like well over three months now. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, for him to even take his time out for just regular people that do Giants, it speaks volumes to who Kurt is. And I'm just extremely humbled and grateful. And thank you for the time, man. Good no problem. The power of Twitter, the power of Twitter. It's yeah, uh, no doubt. Really over the years. So it's a different awesome. world now. Yeah. And we interview, uh, we interview like players every single week. We get a lot of great stories, but you know, we're honored to have a hall of famer with us, which is completely a different, uh, mm-hmm. level. Uh, and so your insight's going to be great. I'm going to, we're going to dive into, you know, Daniel Jones and the giants. Um, but I got to ask you about something to me, which I've been dying to ask you, um, which is more about American underdog. All right. Uh, if you don't mind, I mean, you wrote the book, you know, which is all things possible, right? They turn you turn your story into a movie and, and we, we interview players each week. And I do this, uh, I think Kurt called speed round, and one of the questions is always, if they made a movie of your life, who would who would who would play you? So we know that, you know, uh, Zachary Levi is 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 playing you in an American underdog. The, the question is, like, do you get any creative control on the story of your life? Like, or does the studio just tell you, like, this is the way it is? No, we, we actually had a lot of control. In the movie now, not with who they cast to play us. That was somebody else's business. But uh, and, I, and by the way, I think they did a great job. Zachary Levi was awesome. Anna Paquin was awesome. Totally. So my wife, um, you know, so so they did a great job with that. But I did have a lot of control in the story that we were going to tell. Um, you know, the movie was probably ten years in the making. Uh, we had different production companies. We had different writers along the way, and. My wife and I always just said that we're not just going to make a movie to make a movie. We're going to make the right movie, the movie that we want to tell and the story that we want to tell. And so they allowed us to uh, to collaborate a lot uh, in the process, um, allowed us to, to try different things. Uh, the good thing is we had a team that didn't just say, oh, OK, Kurt, Brennan, whatever you want. 
Um, you know, so there were certain things that we said, hey, try this. And they're like, yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> so we, had, we had people that would just check and balance everything. You know, they would try different things that they thought would work. They tried things and said, no, that doesn't work. And so it was a real collaborative effort. And I think that's a big reason why we're extremely proud of the film. The movie is, is based off of real life stories. Of course, there's a little Hollywood and a little drama here and there. But, but every scene that you see in the movie is based off of real life. Um, and that was important too. You know, we didn't want to make a movie where somebody goes, Hey, you know, that part in the movie, did that really happen? And we had to say, well, no, that didn't happen. And then you're like, well, okay, what else in the movie didn't happen? So the movie is very true to real life. I loved how they intertwined my story and my wife's story and my son's story as kind of three different American underdogs and how together we were able to accomplish some things. So, uh, we're really, really pleased with the way the movie came out. The response to the movie has been incredible i mean better than i ever could have expected i mean the positive reviews i've heard very few negative things from people about the movie and, and that's usually just minor hollywood stuff so um i i couldn't be more excited about the way it's been received yeah, yeah. I it got was a fantastic movie by the way and, and giants yeah. fans who are watching this uh you know if you haven't seen it yet, see the movie because it really is an incredible story. I got, I got, you know, chills, choked up a couple times. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, oh, like most people give up at a certain point. But so, and your and your comment about the Hollywood part of it. I remember when they did the Michael Orr story. You know, for Blindside, he kind of was disappointed when it came out yeah. because there were certain points that he said, yeah, it didn't really happen that way. So, you know, it's nice to know that you had some collaboration efforts where. Yeah even to the fact where you interjected and they were like, no, nah, no, nah, not that Kurt, not that part. Yes. Yes. Did you, did you ever, did you ever think I should play me? Did you ever think I should do it? <laughs> I mean, definitely not for the whole movie, but there I was, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, really trying to get in as an extra to play myself in <laughs> the so arena good. scenes or in the NFL scenes. Uh, but unfortunately we shot it right in the middle of the pandemic okay. and due to, you know, uniforms and, and all the different things that you had to do within uh, sure. you know, those, those parameters. I wasn't able to to do that. There's a couple Easter eggs. I, uh, you know, I make a cameo. My wife and I make a cameo in the movie. Uh, there's another shot of one of my body parts that make the movie. And so there's a couple <laughs> Easter eggs in the movie. But unfortunately, I didn't get to throw a pass because, I mean, okay. I, that would have been so cool is to look back and go, hey, that one right there, that, that was me. Uh, actually playing me in my movie and making that throw. But unfortunately, that uh, that didn't come to pass. So if the pandemic doesn't happen, they're going to put you in a uniform and shoot it so they don't see your face through the face mask? And yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so is, um, is that disappointing or it's like not a big deal? No, it's very disappointing. Like, I mean, I just, I thought that of all things, that would be the one thing that I would get to do. And it would Damn. just be... It would just be a cool Easter egg to, to always have in my movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, you know, jumping in there. But, yeah, so it was kind of a bummer. Uh, and, again, we tried and we tried to, you know, but just the timing of everything, it just unfortunately just didn't uh, didn't pan out. Well, listen, there's always the sequel with the, the rise from Giants to Cardinals. Yeah. And so – Let's not let's not say it's over yet. You never know. There's always a sequel, right? That, that is true. That's uh, there's a lot of people. That was one of the reasons why the movie I think took so long. There was a lot of people that didn't know what the movie was. Like, does it end with the Super Bowl championship? Does it go 
to the second chapter because there's, I think, some great lessons and, and great moments, uh, some ups and downs in the second chapter that could be just as powerful as the first. So uh, that, that, that idea has been kicked around that there may be a, a second part to it. Nice. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure my wife is signing on to do a, <laughs> a second movie, but, um, you know, but, but, but pretty cool that people actually talk about it. And there, and there is a whole nother arc that happens from the time I get released from St. Louis through the Giants and then, then on to the Cardinals. Yeah. And and sure, you already know this, but again, for anyone who's going to watch this, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience has a 98% score. Yeah. People love right. this movie. Like It's not even an exaggeration. People actually love this movie because it was that good. And Zachary Levi nails the role. You know, there's a lot of sim- – I mean, he, he might be – I don't know. You're roughly the same size. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a really good pick, you know? So yeah. they, they did a great, great job, job there. Um, so that, that's awesome. And by the way, it's a feather in your cap to the point where what football player makes a movie about their life? It just doesn't happen, right? Yeah. So not only do you have the movie, but you have the book too. Right. Yeah, no, so, I mean, we're – we're blessed. It's a crazy journey and the irony that, you know, through, you know, through most of it, especially through most of it that was in the movie, I didn't want to be where I was at. You know, I didn't want to be a part of that. And so amazing that the irony of not wanting to be there leads into this story that's kind of a one of a kind and that can be made into a movie. And we're just so grateful that uh, that it's been able to impact people and I think encourage people where they've at, especially the timing through the pandemic. I mean, how many people found themselves as an underdog, you know, through those three years, more so than they probably ever have in their entire lives. And so the timing of the release um, and people seeing it, I, I think, was was pretty powerful as well. Yeah, good, good feel, good, good, uh, good feel, good story goes a long way, definitely during those times. All right. I'm going to ask you about something. For, these guys have a bunch of questions, too, but I have one. I'm a numbers guy. Um I mean, having now I played college football, but I played small division three football, but number all the way from when I was a kid, all the way to playing through numbers were important to me. I don't know why, you know, I just numbers always meant something, whether it's markability or what. So in high school, you wear 12, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, right? I did. Yes. So the question is why 12 and how do you get to 13? Because I've always found there's a story and these guys will attest I've had um, I've had this podcast for three years and all these really cool guys that we've interviewed over the yeah. years from Carl Banks and Dominic Hickson and Chase Blackburn and all your old teammates and all these guys. David Deal. You know, um, we, yeah. David Deal, Soybert, they all have a story about their number, you know, and the best one was Carl Banks and he leaves Michigan State wearing 54. Look, he's got it on right there. And he shows up, and Andy Hedden, who is a kind of a backup linebacker, says to Carl, he says, and I'm quoting, "Home, hey, homeboy, you want this number? 30 grand. And he just got off the plane. He's been in the facility for an hour, you know, and this guy's already trying to get a check out of him. He says to the, the uh, equipment manager, hey, pull out something out of the bag. He pulls out 58. Story's over. He's 58, yeah. you know. But listening to him tell the story is hysterical, so – why 12 and how'd you get to 13? You know, I, I wish I had uh, a great story for you, um, <laughs> but here's, here's all I've got. So I wore 12 because I was a big Cowboys fan. I was a big Roger Staubach fan. Okay. So that was where the 12 started. Um, you know, when I went to college, I wanted the number 12 again and somebody had it. A veteran guy had the number 12. 
So they simply threw the number 13 at me, kind of, again, it's closest number to 12. So you get the number 13. Fast forward, okay, I was with uh, the Packers for just a short period of time, as you guys saw in the movie, wore the number 12 with the yep. Packers. Went over to the Rams and um, actually was looking for 12, couldn't get 12. Um, or I actually wore 13 in, in, uh, in college. So uh, when I went to the Rams, I was trying to get 13. Steve Bono was there at the time, my first year. So they gave me the number 10. Yes. Right. So I'm wearing the number 10 and I'm kind of thinking, okay, I'm in the NFL now. I'll probably just wear 10 my entire career. Uh, the next year, uh, the Rams signed Trent Green, right? Yep. And so uh, when they were doing the introductory press conference for Trent Green, I saw him up on stage. I was watching on the news um, at home and he's holding up the number 10 and I'm going, (laughs) hold on. Like that's, that's my number. Like that, you know, I didn't get a check. Nobody offered me anything. They just went and gave my number to Trent because he wanted the number 10. But ultimately I was able to go back to the number that I wanted, which was the number 13 because of that situation and 13 would be what I would wear the rest of my career. And, you know, really the only story I have behind it is that obviously I wanted to be 12 to start, got 13 in college, wanted to stay with the number 13, but through the process, I became a man of faith. Um, and I know a lot of people look at 13 as an unlucky number. You know, there's not 13, uh, there's not a 13th floor in, in hotels and all of that sort of stuff. So it kind of became a silent way for me to kind of represent who I was and saying that I didn't believe in, in luck. I didn't believe I just kind of, you know, fell into this situation and, and had success. I believed in something bigger than myself. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a long way to get to the number 13 and end up staying with the number 13. So I, I got a story for you about your 13. My, my, uh, as I mentioned, my daughter, uh, she accepted this scholarship to play field hockey. She's in Michigan. She's worn 13 her whole life. And when we were picking numbers out for field hockey, you know, when she was little and we were going through numbers, same thing, all the older, all the older girls had the numbers. And when 13 was available, she's like, dad, isn't 13 unlucky? I was like, heck no. I'm like, Kurt Warner wears 13. She's like, dad, who's Kurt Warner? So I had to pop on a video and be and show him. And I'm like, that guy wears 13 and that guy gets it done. And since that moment, my daughter is Ward 13, and when she got to Michigan Love State, it. she literally sent me a uh, she literally sent me a text. She's like, "Dad, we're getting um, sized for our uniforms." I'm like, "Awesome! What are you gonna wear?" She goes, "I got the 13." I'm like, "You got 13 again?" So she's been wearing 13 since she was probably eight years old, you know. So kind of full circle, but Love it. Tell you know, because like I'm not a I was not. I mean, listen, I I saw in the movie, you know, you're in the aisle with the, in the shelves and the kid asks you why you're here and you're looking at a box, a box of Wheaties with Marino on it. Like I was never, listen, Dan Reno is a phenomenal quarterback. Right. But you and I are roughly the same age. Like I grew up watching you play where Dan's older than me. So my first thing is I relate more to your 13. So anyway, yeah, good luck. I love it. Number 13, lucky 13. I like it. Exactly. All right, guys. I know you guys got stuff. Go ahead, Zane. Jump in with something. Well, I was born on the 13th, so I've never been unlucky. So, right. there you go. Uh, so you, you watch the movie, and because it's real life, and we know it's real life, it's a roller coaster, right? You're going through the ebbs and flows of the emotion, 
with your character. So you win this Super Bowl in um, sorry, uh, that's Super Bowl. You go to Green Bay first, right? It's Green Bay first. You're on the practice squad, I believe. Is that what it was? I actually know. I was there for. I mean, in the movie, it only showed me there for kind of two days, basically. But I was there for, you know, through training camp. I was a camp arm there. Gotcha with Green Bay, never played in the preseason game, and then and then it was released. Right. So then you went to Arena, right? You went to the Arena Ball. You end up in NFL Europe. Did you ever hit a point where you're sitting there and you saw what you say to yourself, you know what? I've had enough. I'm good in NFL Europe. I can win here. I can get accolades here. Or was it always, this is a stepping stone for me. It's NFL or nothing. That's where I need to get it done. I mean, there was always the desire to play in the NFL. But there, there was a time when I was actually playing arena football. Um, you know, I played a few years at arena football. I was one of the better players, if not the best player in the league at the time. And I was having success and I was taking care of my family and, and all of those things that you kind of shoot for. So there was a time where I was content saying, all right, if, if I never get that opportunity, I'll play 10 or 12 years in the arena league and, and hopefully be one of the best to ever play. And I'll at least get to play the game that I love but never to the point where the NFL ever disappeared. Like when I was playing, I was still playing because I believed I could play. You know, I got cut by Green Bay, but uh, you know, it's funny, somebody on Twitter the other day just sent a picture of, of, you know, said something about the quarterback room in 1994 with Green Bay because it was Brett Favre, Ty Detmer, Mark Brunel, and then myself that year. And the amazing thing is, you know, I got released from the Packers but I left there with more confidence that I could play in the NFL than I had going in because I'm competing against these guys. You know, I'm yeah. competing against Brett Favre, who would be the first time, you know, three-time winner of the, the MVP. And, and Mark Brunelli would go on to, to play in Pro Bowls. And then obviously, you know, Ty, who was, you know, one of the greatest college yeah, quarterbacks yeah. we've ever seen. So I'm out there throwing against these guys every day going, okay, I can do this. You know, I, I can physically play this game with all of these guys. And so when I left there, I really believed that I could play. The hardest part of it was, was I going to get an opportunity? Yeah. And that was the thing that, you know, you have no control over whatsoever is that, you know, you go year after year after year, like, can I just get a true opportunity? You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be that, that 50 year old guy that's watching games on my couch going, you know what? I could have been that guy if they just yeah. gave me an opportunity. Even if they gave me an opportunity and I couldn't, you can walk away going, hey, at least I got my shot and I wasn't good enough. And so it is what it is. But it probably would have drove me crazy had I never got the, a true opportunity to compete and show whether I belonged or not. So, so fortunate uh, while I was playing and, and, and learning the game and growing in the game that I got that second chance with the Rams. You need someone to believe in you, right? Always do. Always yep. do. Yes. You know, there's that one guy that just says, you know – I'm I, this guy just deserves a shot because yeah. if you don't have that one guy, you're, you're pushing a rock uphill most of the time. No, you know what? You know there are two things are accomplished by ourselves in life. I, I realize that, and especially in, in a sport, especially a team sport. So I'm grateful that that guy just got into Canton a couple weeks ago in, in Dick Vermeil, but I'm glad that, uh, that he saw something in me and was willing to give me an opportunity when nobody else would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a legend here, right? In this Philadelphia market. Yeah. Like he's, He's the guy, you know, and him and Jaws just, you know, if they show up, people come out of the woodwork because no they doubt. love him. No doubt. All right, Spartan Mike, you got to jump in here with something pretty cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Kurt, I mean, you know, you had a phenomenal career with both the, the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, and you you played with so many incredible offensive weapons in your time in both places. You know, from, from Torrey Holt, Marshall Falk, Larry Fitzgerald, the list just goes on. Bolden, uh, Fitz. Yeah, and I, I sort of had a two-part question here. You know, was there ever a particular player that you felt most in sync with when you played? Uh, that's the first question. The second question uh, is actually – if the 1999 Rams played against the 2008 Cardinals, who do you think would win that? Ooh, good question. Um, well, I mean, the best football player that I ever played with was Marshall Fall. Mm -hmm. uh, and I played with some great ones. So, uh, you know, I, I could throw Tiki right in the mix. Uh, I don't think he ever got the respect that he deserved. And, and you know, I probably wouldn't have known how good he was and, if I hadn't got to play with him for a year. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal player as well. But I played with a lot of great ones, a lot of Hall of Famers, but Marshall was the best complete football player that I ever played with. You know, I mean, Orlando Pace, probably I'm, I'm thinking more skill guys, but Marshall was was incredible. He was just a unique, unique player. One of the smartest players that I've ever played with could do anything that you asked him to do yeah. on a football field. Um, so he was just, you know, he was that guy that that stood above the rest as great as the other guys were. Uh, if the 99 Rams played against the Cardinals, the Rams would crush them. Um, yeah, I, I don't even think it would be close. I mean, I'd like to think since I was quarterback in both teams and I might have been a better quarterback in 08 than I was in 99, that I could have kept it close and I could have done some things, uh, you know, to score some points. But yeah. but that team in 99 was just special. Yeah. And, um, you know, what we could do offensively, I just – you know, I, I don't think anybody could go swing for swing with us. And that 08 Cardinals team, although we made a really special run, we were not a great football team. I mean, I think we finished the year and we scored 426 points and we gave up 425 points. You know, I mean, okay. that was the kind of team that we were. Is yeah. that we had to, you know, we had to manufacture ways to win and we played in a bad conference. And so we won, you know, a number of games to get to the playoffs. Now we played good in the playoffs. And our defense showed up in a special way in the playoffs, and we had fits, and we were we were humming pretty good in the playoffs. But you know, just overall big picture, that Rams team to me was way way better than than our Cardinal team. And Falk, you know, was I, just I will say this one thing though about the the legacy that I think that you know you left with Arizona, and it, it speaks volume is, I, I agree. I mean, the Dolway team did not look as good as the '99 Rams, but you know, when you got to Arizona. You know, they didn't really have much of an identity. It was a good place to go for an away game, right? But you left yes. that place, and now Arizona has a full-on identity, and you built that. And I think that's truly one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen because I've never seen that done with a team before. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it's probably one of the, the crown jewels on my career was, you know, when, when you're a quarterback of a team, you know, Greg, you were talking about stats and numbers before. To me, it's so much bigger than numbers. It's the ability to elevate the play and get people around you to believe in what they're capable of. And, you know, I was fortunate that I kind of felt like I got to do that in three different places. You know, the Rams were the losingest team in the 90s when I got there and we were able to change that. The Giants, you guys remember, were four and 12. Yeah, 12 year before, yeah. And we, we won five of our first seven games. And, and you know, guys are starting to believe again that, that, you know, we could do something. And then the Cardinals, as you said, were the losing his team in the last five decades when I got there. And so nobody believed that we could ever have success. And then to leave those places 
where people saw them differently. The organization saw themselves differently. They believed in what they could accomplish. Uh, that to me is what leading is all about. That's what playing the quarterback position is all about. And so I'm really, really proud of what we accomplished and the way we were able to kind of change the complexion uh, and the culture of, uh, of what people saw the Arizona Cardinals as before I got there to what they saw the Arizona Cardinals as, it, you know, when I left. And sure. Marshall Falk said that on numerous occasions on how you had the ability to make all the players around you better. And that's like the ultimate compliment, right? I mean, because you're playing a team game and you're saying, you know, I'm going to make these guys that you don't think are great. Watch how great I make them. That's that's the ultimate compliment from, the like you just mentioned, the best player you've ever played with. And he, to me, he redefined the running back position because he was just as good receiver as a back. Uh, he was just super fun to watch. He's one of my favorites. But it was nice to hear him say that because I think, and that's something we'll get to in a minute about the whole Jones thing. Um, uh, I'm going to transition real fast to the to the Giants. You know, you, you come to New York on a on a one year deal. You mentor the rookie. You know, e- Eli Eli Manning. Like, I guess. Like, what's the experience like coming to New York and playing for Coughlin? Because, and the reason why I ask, Kurt, is I can't tell you how many times I talk to guys and they tell me, you know, they get off the plane and they don't even, you know, they tell the cabbie to take them to, to New York and the cabbie has to tell them that the Giants play in New Jersey. You know, like like there's there's a lot of young kids that come to play for the Giants that don't really realize the whole New Jersey-New York dynamic. So, like, A, what, what's it like? You know, what was it like that one year? What's it like playing for Coughlin? You know, yeah. I'm hoping it was a good experience for you. But, you know, yeah. that's a tough place to play. You know, I love my time in New York. I love the organization. I love the people that were involved. Um, you know, I didn't love the way that they asked me to play. Um, I had to play the game completely different than the way – I normally play the game and, and what I thought my greatest strengths were, you know, we were run on first and second down, Kurt make a play on third down. And I mean, it just, it wasn't conducive to, to how I normally played. So I didn't feel like I was able to have the impact on the field that I could have had, but by the same token, what I appreciated so much about it was I had to learn how to lead a different way. I had to learn how to get a locker room to believe that we could win when we didn't win a year before. And I wasn't going to be able to convince them by throwing the ball for 300 yards because that's not what we were going to do. But it was about getting guys to believe that buy into the system and we will do enough. I will do enough. We'll find a way to get wins. And that's basically what we did at the beginning of that year. I mean, we started out five and two and, you know, we're playing some good football and people are like, oh my God, you know, where did this team come from? And we were just doing enough. And so I appreciate that part of it, you know, playing for Coach Coughlin. I have such tremendous respect for Coach Coughlin. Now, the first thing that I'll say is when I got there, uh, you know, that year in, in 04, uh, it was his first year. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously, you know, worked hard and did a lot of stuff. And so there was oftentimes I was up watching film and putting in extra work when nobody else was there except, you know, Coach Coughlin and the coaches. And I got to see Coach Coughlin as a grandpa. And I got to see him as, you know, the person of Coach Coughlin because I would go into his office and we would talk and I would see him playing with his grandkids. And, you know, what everybody heard on the outside and even what most players saw was Camp Coughlin, these 
the, the hard camp and, and, and the rules and, and you know what we had to do. And you know, I saw all that, but I got to see another side of coach. And you know, a big part of, of you know the process was and, and eventually this would happen was there was a disconnect between who Coach Coffin was and the locker room because they didn't see each other for what they were. Tom wasn't connected to the locker room the way he needed to be. And the locker room, you know, wasn't going up and seeing Grandpa Coughlin. All they could see is these rules and these fines. And, and, and they were going crazy on the other side. But as you guys know, Coach Coughlin, you know, benched me that year. Um, but, I, but, you know, again, I'm going to give you a couple of stories on, on why I have so much respect for him. You know, first is when he did bench me, that he brought me into that room and unlike a lot of coaches who, when they have to make a decision like that, they point back at the player and go, well, here's why we're going to make, you didn't do this well enough, or you didn't do that well enough, or you did He looked at me and he said, you know what, Kurt, you're the reason that we've won five games. And what you've brought to this organization has been unbelievable in this short period of time that you've been here. And this isn't fair. This isn't fair to you. It's not fair that, that, we're wow. going to move to Eli Manning, but it's the move that I feel like I have to make for the best of this organization moving forward. And so I didn't like it. Um, as he said, I didn't think it was fair. I was the better quarterback at that time, hands down. And, you know, none of that, but he looked me in the eye and he was honest with me and said, it has nothing to do with you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And there was nothing you could have done about done about it. It was just, this is the right time. I believe for us as a team to move to the young guy. So great respect for him because he looked me in the eye and said that and didn't try to blame it on something I didn't do and try to make up a reason why I wasn't playing. Second reason, at the end of the year, knowing that I wasn't going to come back, Coach Coughlin called me into his office. We had kind of had an exit interview. And he asked me if I would go back uh, home for two, three weeks. And if I would take out a pad of paper and if I would write down everything I didn't like about what they did that year, you know, wow. everything from what happened on the football field to what happened off the football field to, to anything that I wanted to say, will you go back and, and write it all down on a piece of paper and bring it back in a couple of weeks and we'll, we'll have a discussion. That's so amazing. I was like, okay, uh, went back and did it. I mean, I had pages and pages of, of notes and different little things. And so we ended up having a conversation and, the conversation even at times got heated a little bit. And I'm just like, hey, coach, you asked me to do this. I'm just I'm just trying to tell you what you wanted to hear. Don't get mad at me. But, you know, we would just, you know, we would go back and forth, um, you know. And so we had that conversation. It's a few-hour conversation. I leave the notes with them. And we go our, our, our different directions. Uh, and, again, as I said, I had a lot of respect for Coach Coughlin. So, you know, followed him and we stayed in touch. And then, you know, uh, a number of years later when they were in – the Super Bowl in uh, in Indianapolis. So I guess that was that their second Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, because yeah, Arizona was the other one. Indy. Um, and so I was covering the league at that time for um, you know for the NFL Network. And so I was there for the week, and I went to visit Coach Coughlin at their makeshift office at one of the hotels in Indy. And so I went and saw him, and you know we had a great conversation. Uh, you know I was wishing him well. And uh, coach says, hey, Kurt, I just want you to know how meaningful that conversation was that we had, you know, way back in 04 after the season. And he reached down to the bottom of his desk 
This is his makeshift office in Indianapolis. No way. Pulled out the notes. And he said, I just want you to know that I look at these notes every couple weeks. No as way. A reminder to me of, you know, the fact that I don't know everything. I don't have everything down and I want to continue to learn and evolve as a coach. And, you know, I mean, it was just one of those things like you're just blown away. Like, are you serious? But yeah. that to me is why I have so much respect for him because so much success throughout his career but he never stopped evolving and he never stopped listening to people that could maybe help him be better. And, you know, one of the things that I talked about in that meeting was you need to connect to your players differently. You need to have a pulse of the locker room. You need to have, you know, a committee of guys that can be your liaison to the locker room and you can bring them up and find out what's going on. And they can, they have the ability to go up into your office and talk to you. And that became one of the things that I know they did after I left was they had their, you know, senior committee of guys that would, you know, connect with Coach Coughlin on a weekly basis. And and it helped to bridge the gap that was there that first year. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, hearing Michael Strahan, you know, knowing him because I was there that year with him saying, you know, that first year in 04, I wanted to go anywhere else and play for anybody else but Coach Coughlin. And by the time he retired, he basically said, I didn't want to go anywhere else and I didn't want to play for anybody else except Coach Coughlin. And I think that speaks volumes of the man and what he was willing to do from year one to evolve and adjust and grow to become, you know, what I believe is a Hall of Fame, you know, NFL coach. Um, but it was because of his willingness to make that effort and ask guys like me to, you know, to tell him everything he's doing wrong and for him to continually ponder those things and figure out how he can be the best coach. That's an amazing story that he pulls it. He's not yeah. even in his office. He's in the makeshift office at the yeah. Super Bowl. He had to bring him out there. Yeah, he's carrying around Kurt's notes from yeah. however Kurt's many years that was. Seven years old at that point. That's incredible. That, 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 shows oh, how yeah. much, that shows how much respect he has for your input as well. You know how much value he actually had for that, uh, which obviously helps with his growth. But you hear, heard it here first. I always wondered how he came up with these committees that he yeah. took place. When he did that, I was like, I wonder, you know, where that take from. But looks like Kurt Warner's impression with the organization just lasted because it seems like it definitely came so, from as a suggestion from you. I, I'll tell you this real quick story. I don't want to bore you with it. I don't know if Eli Manning was a film guy in college or not. But what I can tell you is um, we interviewed last year. There's a uh, practice squad wide receiver the Giants have named Alex Bachman. Young guy, busting his ass, trying to stay on the team. You know, nice player, but, you know, he's always got an uphill battle, right? We had him on, and he tells her this story that um, he got cut from the Rams. He was a Wake Forest kid, got cut from the Rams. And this, by the way, will come back to making, I hope, makes you, you know, not only feel good, but just your, your impact on the Giants. He tells me that um, his friend uh, called him and said, I heard you got to try out for the Giants. He's like, do you have a place to stay? He's like, no, I'm driving up now. He says, listen, I got a place in Manhattan. You can stay at my place. He says, great. He says, aren't you staying there? He says, no, I am now the new Bachelor for the TV show The Bachelor. He goes, so I'm going to be off location shooting The Bachelor. So the place is yours. He says, great. So the, the kid's living in um, – he's still on the team, by the way. Um, he's living in Manhattan, and he's got no car, right, because he, he drove up with his parents, right? And uh, he's taking like a bus and a train and a subway and he's trying to be the first guy in the building, 
right? So he can make an impression. So every day he's there at 5.30. And every day at 5.30, the only person there in the building was Eli Manning watching watch film. He'd have breakfast with Eli and he'd watch film. And then he said he would stay late so the traffic would die down and he could get on the train to whatever bus he was taking. And he said he had dinner with Eli Manning every night watching film. So if anything, to you know, kind of come full circle to your original point was you stayed after. You not only you were putting the work in, but you got to know Coach Coughlin because of the the the, the extra time you were putting in. So this kind of comes full circle. The kids literally saying the only person in the building is Eli Manning. I'd have to think that you rubbed off on him in that way. And you know, that relationship between Coughlin and Eli is probably the same relationship you two had. Well, I mean, I'm going to take absolutely no credit for anything with Eli. I mean, Eli's got an unbelievable pedigree. He had plenty of guys to lean on, uh, to ask well, questions with, you know, your dad. And, you know, when I got there, you know, I'm, I'm always an open book. I'm always there to, to help anybody. But I was also one of those guys that was very conscious of that with Eli. So, you know, my biggest thing was, you know, whenever he comes to me, I'm, I'm going to help him any way that I possibly can. But I'm not going to go and, and try to, you know, hey, Eli, you need to come and watch film with me. You need to because I knew that he had, uh, you know, people to, to help him with that. So I, I was very respectful of, of, I think, his situation, yet also very open so, you know, to this day, I don't, I don't know what, if anything, I did to help Eli in that stage. I mean, I, I'm sure there's things of, you know, it's one thing to hear your brother say it. It's another thing to watch somebody do it, um, you know, and to be, see somebody in the building doing it on a daily basis. But, yeah. um, but you know, again, to this day, I was, I was there to help any way that I could along the way when he was starting, when he was going through some of the struggles and when he was learning. Uh, but I will never be a guy that takes any credit whatsoever for Eli's success because he had plenty of guys that, that shaped him way more than, than I did. Uh, fair enough. I just, I just, it just struck me. I was like, you know, cause you got along with Coughlin because you spent some time with him yeah. and you know how, he, how tight Eli was with Tom. Cause you know, he probably got to, to, you know, understand coach Coughlin like you did. Yeah. No, it's very, very true. Very true. So Go ahead, Zane, jump in. Shout out to Kurt Warner because he's wearing Giants gear, and I want to point that out. People can't see it. He is wearing Giants gear. Thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. We're representing. We're representing. So love it. I'm gonna. I have a main question, but as as the the noodle is kind of spinning, who's your favorite? This is right. Who's your favorite Giants teammate? Did you have a favorite Giants teammate when you? I mean, I know it was only a year, but who was your who was your guy? Man, I mean, yeah, I mean, I had some good relationships with a lot of the guys. I mean. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time with Jesse, Jesse Palmer, as, as you were mentioning, the, the bachelor, uh, you know, getting to know Stray, um, you know, was was a lot of fun. OC, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable dude. Sean O'Hara was there um, at the time. Um, man, I mean, Tiki was uh, there. There's a lot of great guys on that on that football team. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed that year. I enjoyed my teammates. Um, you know, I, I don't know who was closest. I mean, you know, I mean, now that I work with Sean O'Hara, I mean, we, you know, we probably have the best relationship of, uh, of all those guys just it's because I quarterback in the center, right? Right? what's that? It's always the quarterback in the center. They're always buddies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so, I mean, but there was just, there was just a lot of really, really good dudes on, on that team. And, and I enjoyed it. We weren't a, we weren't a great football team by any means. Amani and I were, we're fairly close when uh, when I was there. I mean, it was just 
good group of guys. Jeremy Shockey was was a good dude. I think sometimes misconstrued uh, because of you know the attitude that that he brought, and sometimes he could get a little fired up. But but Shock was a great dude. I mean, we just it, it was a really good team, and I enjoyed being a part of it. That's great to hear. All right, so. You're one of four quarterbacks in NFL history to take two different NFL teams to the Super Bowl, right? Morton, Manning, Brady. Does that, for you, do you take pride in that as part of your journey? Does that make it just that much sweeter, to, you know, for those who are like, you know what, maybe he's done, let's move on to the next guy? Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you take great pride. I mean, I mean, just the fact of, of going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, just going to the Super Bowl, period. You take great pride in that to take two organizations to the Super Bowl. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, two organizations uh, that haven't had a lot of success, um, you know, in at least a decade from the time that, that I got there uh, to the, the previous decade. And so to be able to take those teams uh, to the Super Bowl was extremely special. I think there's a reason why. Uh, there isn't very many quarterbacks that have played with numerous organizations and taken numerous organizations to the Super Bowl. It is not an easy task to, you know, go and find yourself in, in, in a new offense and build, um, you know, that kind of relationship. And, and, you know, most of the great quarterbacks have played in the same system, you know, for a decade, for 12 years, 15 years. And so you get so ingrained with what that is that it leads itself to a certain level of success every year. So to have to flip and go somewhere else and have that same kind of success, uh, that is a huge, huge task. And so, yeah, I took great pride in in being able to do that. I mean, probably more so, not personally, but more so just being able to be a part of organizations and changing the culture of the organization. Um, but yeah, I take great pride in that as a player because I know how difficult it is to go different places and win and to win at that particular level. Um, you know, and, and again, had to, you know, I talked about my time with the Giants. I mean, going from an offense that fit me like a glove to the Giants uh, and then going to Arizona and having to reshape an offense and try to get back to doing what I did well uh, later in your career. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that you take more pride in than other things as a player. And that's one of them, um, you know, to, to be a part of changing two organizations, you know, with the Rams being the first, you know, team to win a Super Bowl with the Rams and then to be the first team to ever go to a Super Bowl with the Cardinals. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty special. And it says a lot to you. I'm going to pivot to Craig in a, in a quick second because I know he's got a good one for you. Uh, last one, because they brought this up about the 99 Rams. 99 Rams or the Rams team that just won? Oof. Mm. I mean, style of team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a bit. I mean, uh, you know, the defense uh, of this Rams team was really – I mean, our, our defense was good, but, you know, this Rams team had some really – obviously Aaron Donalds and, and Jalen Ramsey and some difference makers. But, again, I mean, I, I'll take our offense against any defense that you're ever going to throw out on a field, and I'm going to say we're going to score 30 points on you. And, yeah. you know, and 30 points to me is good enough to win any, any football game. And so uh, I like the Rams team. I think they were really good and really talented and – um, you know, they are talent across the board. But, again, I'm, I'm going to take my guys, and, and I'll go to battle any day. I, I'm not well, saying this because he's sitting here, but if you take if you take Cooper Cup off that team and that, that 1,400 yards or 1,300 yards receiving, like, they're kind of they, – they start to come down a little bit. He well, had three – You could take Marshall off our team, and that, that drops us down a little bit. But 
Yeah, I mean, but again, we had lots of guys. But you had three stud receivers on that team, no doubt. But I mean, that's that's what great teams do. They have great players, and so you can't take the great players off the great teams. Good um, point. You know, and so, but I, I just again, I would take that team ninety nine, probably even. Well, I mean, again, ninety nine was probably the most complete team that we had. But I would take the offense that we had in any one of those three years, and uh, you know, maybe in two thousand one, even more so. And I would put it up against any team in the league. It's ever played, and, and and I feel like we would we would win the majority of games. That's what I call the greatest show on turf, right? Yeah, right. All right, let's dig into the real good stuff because this is where we need some help. All right, one third of the Giants fan book a fan base loves Daniel Jones. One third of it hates Daniel Jones. One third of the fan base is just completely frustrated and confused. And because he's you know a first round pick like Barkley. He's very polarizing, right? He's a very polarizing player. Um, I guess the easiest way to ask you is, I know he's had a bad offensive line since he's been here. I know he's had multiple schemes. I know he's had multiple coaches. But, but, and I don't know if you could answer this or not, but I just, I would love your insight. Like, you know, Kurt, is, is, is Jones the guy? Because we're just looking for the guy and – it's really hard to say he is or is not. Well, first of all, let's let's go to this idea that we don't know anybody's the guy until they're the guy. Yep. Like, you know, there's been plenty of guys like Ben Roethlisberger wasn't the guy for a long time and then became the guy. Tom yep. Brady wasn't the guy for a long time and then became the guy. You know, I mean, we've seen that numerous times in this league is that you know, those guys had success early, but they had success because of everything else. You know, sure. like when Brady beat us in the Super Bowl, he threw for 150 yards. Like he wasn't Tom Brady, but yeah. he won a Super Bowl. And then he ultimately became the Tom Brady that we know. And so, you know, I mean, I don't think we can write the book on any player after three years and, you know, and say this is who they're going to be because um, they got time to grow. With all that being said, I haven't seen anything that tells me Daniel Jones is that guy. And, and again, I'm not saying not a starting quarterback in the league. I'm saying that guy, like yeah. the, the franchise guy, the difference-making guy, the elite guy. And again, it's not a knock on Daniel Jones. I just don't know yet. I haven't seen the things that say that's in there and, and he can become – that guy uh you know for me there's there's lots of different factors that go into quarterback success and when i watch film i try to take all those things into consideration but at the end of the day to me it's about playing the game and what i mean by that is when you have a play like i can watch a giants play right now and i can pull that play and go okay here's what i would do on this play like i have a vision for what that play can accomplish and what i should do against every coverage that I'm going to see. I, I have an answer in my mind. So I watch film with the idea that, okay, is, is this guy doing what he should be doing in this scenario, you know, a consistent number of times? Like, I, if they miss at the left tackle, I don't care. I, I don't count that. You know, I count the ones where, okay, you have a chance to make the play. The play's in front of you. I know exactly where my eyes would be and where I would be throwing that football. Are you doing that on a consistent basis? Then when you're doing that, can you make the throw that you have to make on a consistent basis? 
So to me, it's, it's layups. And I tell people all the time that to me, there's, there's some sort of equation for quarterbacks. You know, so let's say the scale goes from zero to 100. There's a scale in there somewhere that says, okay, 85 is a championship quarterback. 70 is a starting quarterback. And then within that range, you have to tell me how that quarterback gets to those numbers, right? We have some guys that'll, you know, get halfway there just on, you know, making special plays. And then they'll make the layups the other half of the time and they get to that 70% mark and, and they're good. There's other guys like Andy Dalton that will get you 69 of the layups, right? I mean, he's going to get you 69 and then he'll give you maybe one special throw here and there, but he still makes it to the 70 threshold, which means he's a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Sure. The question becomes is, how is Daniel going to get to that number? Because I haven't seen, A, I haven't seen the layups, you know, where he's making the layups consistently, seeing what he needs to see, throwing what he needs to throw, completing the throws that he needs to make on a consistent basis. And I also haven't seen the special plays. Yeah come at a consistent level. And again, all quarterbacks in this league can make some special plays, a special throw here or a special run there. I mean, everybody does. You know, all the starters make those. But it's the guys that make those consistently where you can start adding them to their number. And that's the the question for me with Daniel Jones is, can he get to 70? Can he be a starting quarterback in this league, meaning giving his team a chance by making – enough plays every single game consistently, you know, to, to be that well, guy. And we haven't seen that yet from him. I mean, I haven't, and again, you can pick a game here. Or, again, these guys are good. None of these guys are bad, but you have to be able to do it week in and week out and consistently. And Daniel Jones has not shown that yet. I haven't seen that processing. I haven't seen that understanding. I haven't seen that consistency of throwing, you know, from him to say he can be that guy. I, I'm not convinced yet. And we can, you know, you can say whatever you want, offensive line, system, all that stuff. All I know is when you get behind the lines as a starting quarterback in the NFL, you better know what you're supposed to do on that play, no matter what you see. And if you don't, and again, I'll take you into consideration when I watch film, maybe it's a crappy play. Like there's sure. some coaches out there that throw out some crappy plays. And so I take that into consideration and I just go, well, that's not on Daniel because I don't even know what I would do there. So everything that I assess, I try to put the quarterback in a situation where I believe he can succeed. And then I ask those questions. And I just haven't seen enough from Daniel Jones to be convinced he's got enough of, of any of those things to get him to that mark that we need him to be at, uh, to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Right now, he's just trying to, to wade through it. And all we're seeing is flashes here and flashes there, but not enough to say, if we were truly in a competition with, you know, give me 32 other guys, you know, whatever, I don't know if he would be one of the top 32. You're like, I'm going to give you probably at least 32 other guys that are in this league right now that are better than Daniel Jones on a weekly basis. Uh, if we were you, just breaking it down yeah. from that standpoint. You feel that way? You feel there's 32 other guys or, or that's a hypothetical? No, I mean, again, I, I, I mean, I look at guys like an Andy Dalton and I just say, I take Andy Dalton over Daniel Jones any day of the week. And again, yeah, sure. I'm not knocking Daniel Jones. No, no, I understand. He's growing, but Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He's a playoff he, 
quarterback in the national. Played well against us last year. We know that. I mean, he's a good quarterback, you know, but he doesn't have the special. So he'll give you the 70. He's never going to get you to 85. No, so I got it. To realize that. And so it's like, we'll take him as our backup and he'll be great. And if he needs to play, we're going to win with Andy Dalton and we're going to do enough with Andy Dalton, but he won't win us a championship. And, you know, so again, those are the levels that we go to. We get to a level and my guy's a starting quarterback. Baker Mayfield may be another one of those guys, right? Starting quarterback, yeah. better than, you know, you know, he's one of the top 32 in the world probably, but he's probably not a championship quarterback or at least hasn't shown us that yet that he can do enough to get over the hump. And so that's how I'm breaking it down. So if I looked at the league and looked at all the starters and backups in the league, I don't think Daniel Jones would make the top 32. But again, I would have to, you know. Do you start over though? Like, do you do you come to that conclusion and start over? Or do you build well, around a guy like that? Well, I think you come to, A, you have to come to the conclusion of what he's going to be his entirety of his career. So I'm not ready to say that, what we've seen from Daniel is, is the best that we're going to get. Like, I'm not saying what I've seen is, is all Daniel Jones will ever be. I don't know. But once we know, once we know what level he is at, then we have to make that decision. So again, I'll use Andy Dalton. What Cincinnati did was they got Andy Dalton, who was a really good starting quarterback in this league. And they built and changed the culture in Cincinnati with Andy Dalton. We go to the playoffs every year. We don't win in the playoffs, but we go to the playoffs every year. People see us differently. We're, we're a tough out, you know, when we play a team during the regular season. So they went with whatever, 10 years, nine years with Andy Dalton, and they had a lot of success. They won a lot of football games that they hadn't won before. Then eventually they said, all right, we know who Andy Dalton is. We can keep Andy Dalton and we can go to the playoffs and lose in the playoffs every year unless we have, you know, this great team around him. Or we can release Andy Dalton and we can go get a guy that we think can take us to a Super Bowl yeah. and we go get Joe Burrow. They yeah. go get Joe Burrow and he picked up where Andy Dalton left off and now they, they played in a Super Bowl. And yeah. so that's kind of the question. I mean, I would say the Browns did the same thing. And again, I don't think anybody, you know, Deshaun Watson, there's still a lot of question marks to me. You know, I'm just talking on the field right now, uh, you know, about what he will be and what he can be as a quarterback. But I think the Browns said the same thing. Like, Baker was great. He helped to change some things here. Now we believe that we can win and we want a playoff game, but we don't believe Baker is a championship quarterback. We're going to cut ties and we're going to go get somebody. Even better. That we believe is better and that can possibly take us to a championship. And so those are the kind of steps you have to take. First, figure out who Daniel Jones is. Is what we've seen up to this point who he's going to be his entire career? If you decide that, then you ask the next question. Is that good enough for where we're at right now to take a guy that's probably not championship level uh, and, and, and run with him for five or seven years before going the other route? Or, you know, I think even some organizations might say, hey, we'll just run with Daniel Jones for the length of his career if he's a starting quarterback, a guy that can get us to the playoffs. And that's good enough. And then there's other organizations that are like, no, I'm not just here to get to the playoffs. I'm here to win championships. You know, the Rams, there's another great example. Jared Goff got him to a Super Bowl, right? Jared Goff played some really, really good football. I think they ultimately said Jared Goff is a starting quarterback in this league and a good starting quarterback. He's not a guy that's going to win us championships. So we're yeah. going to let him go, and we're going to go get Matthew Stafford, who is a difference maker at that position. So you see that over and over again. You build a culture with one guy as you figure out what he's going to be. 
then you have to make that tough decision on what you really want as an organization. That's a good point. That's a really great point. Kurt, let me let me ask this though. I mean, you did have you had the pleasure of playing under Mike Marks, who's one of the greatest offensive coordinators of all time, right? You lightly touched on this with Jones. Unfortunately, I do think Garrett was an atrocious play caller and may have held Jones back a little bit. Uh, and now we have Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator. How much of Daniel Jones's success or of him getting to that 70% level that you, you talked about could come from an offensive coordinator change? Um, I mean, you know, play calls, I mean, obviously can always have, you know, a say in, in, in how a quarterback does or, or how good a quarterback, you know, looks on paper, um, you know, but I still think, you know, that there's, you know, in, in every offensive system, there's whatever, 65, 70% that the plays are basically the same, you know, you're doing similar things. Um, you have to read it the same way that, you know, the scheme is, is the same. And so I don't think that's just a cure-all that, and again, there's some coordinators that can put together great game plans and for a period of time, you know, call the perfect play and get the first guy open. So the quarterback just has to drop back and throw it to that guy. And yeah, that stuff can happen. But ultimately I, I just don't think, um, you know, just play calls period is the difference between a good quarterback and a great quarterback, you know, or an average quarterback and a starting quarterback. I, I think you have to, you know, you play the plays and you have to do the things that you have to do within the plays that were there. I've seen a lot of systems where, yeah, like, I'm like, I don't really like that play. I don't know what they're doing, but there's, there's just as many plays where you go, well, that's a good play. Everybody runs it, throw it to the open guy. Like, what are you doing? You know? So, uh, so I just, you know, I'm not one that, and I've been with some bad coordinators. So that can definitely handcuff you without a doubt. Um, but, but I don't think that's, you know, all one way or the other. We can't blame everything on a co coordinator, good or bad. You know, like Brian Dayball was great in Buffalo, you know, but it wasn't just his play calling that made Josh Allen great. I mean, Josh Allen grew, and Josh Allen is a big playmaker and consistently made the big throws. And yeah, it fit with what they were doing. And, and Brian did an unbelievable job of creating easy opportunities for him. But ultimately, the difference wasn't just the play design. The difference was the quarterback, yeah. right? The quarterback making the plays. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at with Daniel Jones. Play calling can help. Design can help. Creating easy opportunities for your quarterback can help and can look good on paper. But ultimately, you're going to be able to tell this guy's got to do some things on his own. He's got to play the position on his own. Um, and that's not just going to be just a shift in, in coordinators that's going to do that. All right. Those, are all, those are all incremental shifts. We're still looking for his root consistency or his root play, regardless of some of those uh, different aspects, if you will. Uh, so for you, I mean, as it seems like you've done your work on Daniel Jones. So as much as you've seen... Uh, as much as you know, uh, at this point, what's a good year for Daniel Jones, the individual? Is it a statistical? Is it a win? Or is it certain things he improves on? For example, they only win five games, but all five were game-winning comebacks. He led drives to do it. What, what are you looking for to make someone say, you know what, this is a good year for him? All I look for from a quarterback is consistency. Like, whatever that means for that quarterback – just show me what you're going to be every game. Like, 
show me what I can expect from you every time out. You know, sh you know show me who you're, you're going to be. I just, I want, that's all I want to know. That to me is a good year because we know that this game, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that factor into these games. I mean, there's a lot of games that are close games uh, that come down to a couple plays here and there. So I don't always look at win-loss. I do look at what quarterbacks do in close games, right? Because I know a lot of people don't think wins and losses is a quarterback stat. I believe it's as much a quarterback stat as anything else uh, because I do believe that position in a lot of different ways factors into winning those kind of games. Sure. You know, guys believing on the sideline, making the play that you have to make, not not making the play. Like when you've got a play to finish a game, you make that play, even if it's a two-yard flat throw. Like not, not turning the ball over. You do different things to to put your team in position to win more often than not at the quarterback position. So, you know, I don't look at numbers because numbers are inflated, I mean, amazingly in this NFL. You know, touchdown passes or yards. You know, I said a couple weeks ago, I think the most deceiving stat in, in football is the completion percentage. Like, I mean, when I played, you know, I think I led the league one year at like 67%, 68%. And I remember a couple years ago, somebody was showing me a stat after like nine weeks of the season. And 21 quarterbacks in the NFL had a higher completion percentage. Than that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just, you know, and I sit here and I'll go, I argue that I'm the you know, most accurate quarterback in NFL history. Yet 21 guys had a higher completion percentage than I did. Why? Because we manufacture and we have smoke and mirrors in these games. So stats can be great. But so they're deceiving. That, yeah. So that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I'm going to watch every game and I'm going to assess – did Daniel grow in terms of where his eyes were, you know, getting the ball out on time, making the throws he's supposed to make, you know, bringing his technique with him. You know, I've been watching some clips of him in practice. And first thing that I say is it's horrible technique. Like, I don't care who you are, you know, and Daniel Jones isn't the most talented guy, but his technique's still bad. And so when his technique's bad in certain areas, you're not going to be successful consistently. And so it's all those little factors that can add up to you could have less touchdowns and less yards than you did a year ago, but be a lot better quarterback. And How does no one see that his technique is bad? That's what I don't understand. Well, there's there's like, a lot of guys in this league who have bad technique. And I okay. think there's a lot of guys that struggle with how to coach it. And it's also habitual. You know, when I work with guys, I always tell them, we've got to create a new normal. Like your normal isn't good enough. Like your normal isn't good technique. We got to create a new normal, but it's hard to create a new normal when you've been doing something for 25 years of your life. And now it's, Hey, we're going to change this. And we got three months in the off season. And I expect you to be different. No, but it's something that you have to work on because I'm a firm believer that technique can always carry it. So if when you're you not great, if you have good technique, technique can carry you as a thrower. If you have bad technique, if you're a great quarterback like a, you know, Aaron Rodgers and you know Patrick Mahomes, who oftentimes have bad technique, but they're really good at, at knowing how to use the rest of their body to, to make up for it. But if you're not a great quarterback and you have bad technique, that is a bad formula to be successful on a consistent basis. And you know, so again, those are the things that I'm going to watch this year from Daniel Jones to be able to tell, did he make steps in his level of consistency from last year to this year? 
Yeah. It, that's interesting. Can, too, we, I was can, we, like, can we get a bad technique example? If you want that's, to that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, what, I want to know, like, what goes, it actually looks yeah, like. What did you see that goes well, that's still the problem? In simplest form, it's feet lined up with where the ball is going. So, you know, when, when you watch a guy throw, I want him, I want that front foot when it's time to throw to be stepping and moving to my target. Okay. You know, so, so here's how I you know, like when I teach it. I always teach guys, and I have them line up on a line, right? Just pick a line, a yard line on the on the football field. Every time you throw a football, there is a straight line from the where you release it. I got it. Where the ball is going. As much of my body as I can possibly get down that line, the better chance I have to be successful. If I take my left foot and I move it 12 inches to the left of that line. Now, part of my body and power goes with that foot. Actually, most of my power is going to go with my body. So if, imagine I'm, my power starts on my back foot and it comes to my front foot and that's how we throw. We generate power from hip to hip. Sure. So if my foot comes off of that line 12 inches and my power is going from my right foot to my left foot, but the throw needs to be down the line, my technique is all off because my power is going in a completely different direction than my arm. Now, doesn't mean you can't make some throws that way. It just means that consistency-wise, you're working against yourself and sure. your technique is all over the place. So when you consistently do stuff like that, you're going to consistently miss and you're going to be consistently inconsistent when you do that. And again, you can watch some of the greats. Aaron Rodgers sometimes has awful feet, but he's incredible with his hips and being able to generate power through his core. Patrick Mahomes, same way. Josh Allen, another guy. You'll see him miss some layups, some throws he should never miss. But his feet are going one direction and his arms go in another direction. So it's all about lining your body up to the point where it's hard to miss, right? Yeah. So anything that I get off the line, if I start to drop my arm and, and throw it kind of sidearm, now it's off of that line, right? And I got to bring it back to, you know, to get the ball to go down that line. All of those things are what we talk about with technique is generating as much power and movement down that one singular line that you're going to throw down as much as possible. So there'll be times when we're moving and we talk about off platform all the time, right? So my feet are perpendicular to that line. I have to learn as a quarterback that there's times I have to take my feet out of the throw. So no longer am I generating my power with any part of my feet. Now I have to generate it with my core because my core is the only thing that I can get to go down that line. So it's it's all those little things that I know to you guys go like wah, 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 wah. But, but well, this but, is what we want. This is exactly yeah, what we want. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised. In simplest form, it's I'm trying to get everything going down that straight line. If I get everything, my arm, my power, my legs, my body, all going down that singular line, you can't miss. Like you can't miss. So the goal is on every throw to get as much of my hundred percent down the line. Anything that comes off of that 100% starts to increase my margin for error to miss a throw. And that can be a multitude of different things. I can be leaning back on my back foot and not transfer my weight forward. I can be stepping my left foot, you know, way off of that line. I can drop my arm and I can throw side arms. I mean, there is a bunch of different things that can happen to take me off of that line. But that is what good technique is, is I'm getting everything generated down that imaginary straight line from target, I mean, from, from throw to target. 
All right, wait. This is a good segue then because um, and, and I know you want to hang out with us all day. Um, the last question I have before the speed round is so so believe it or not, I'm actually sucking this in because my son plays. I have a 14 year old. He plays lacrosse all year round. He says to me, he wants to play football. I'm kind of a broken ex-athlete, and I've always kept him out of football. Now all his boys are playing. So we've been in practice for two weeks. He is trying out to play quarterback because he's got the arm, but it's it's so much more, right? Yep. You know, reading defenses, footwork, you know, belly to belly, learning the handoffs, right? Learning the plays on the fly. Tell me a little bit about QB Confidential because it seems – you know, you, you own this company. I already, I looked into it. I'm all excited about it because I now have a 14-year-old son who wants to play quarterback and has the skill but doesn't have the knowledge, right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, so when you were saying we were, we were just want, yeah. want, want, I'm sucking it in because I'm assuming that QB Confidential has a lot of this in it. QB Confidential has – there's nothing out there like it. And, and I know I created it and I own it, but there is nothing out there like it. And – I'm a firm believer that every offensive coach and every player that plays quarterback, I don't care if you're Daniel Jones or your son that just started playing two weeks ago, they should be on QB Confidential learning the game. It has everything from learning the game of football, you know, simplest forms. What's a box count? What does quarters coverage look like? You know, what is the defensive line twist to technique stuff going out on the field? to learning a playbook and understanding how playbooks work and how we read particular plays and, and design of plays is critical. Film study, being able to take it to, you know, to the film and see how the pros do it and, and looking at the nuances. Uh, and then I have a segment that's on, on leadership and, uh, you know, getting outside the field and, and learning how to be a leader. And so there's nothing that is as inclusive as QB Confidential in every facet of learning the game of football. And I think everybody could benefit from it. There's too many, here's the bottom line is that there's two things. I coached high school football and love coaching high school football, but I hated the fact that I only got four quarterbacks a year. Like I wanted to share my knowledge with anybody and everybody that's out there that I think there's a lot of quarterback, um, you know, gurus or, or coaches that don't know what they're teaching. So this yeah. gives the means to reach everybody. It's, uh, you know, these quarterback gurus are charging 70 bucks an hour uh, where you can get 30 lessons on QB Confidential for seven bucks. Uh, you really? know, yeah, I mean, it's five days Sign a, up right now. a week for $7.99. But, but it teaches you everything. And, um, and, and so I just think that there's, there's benefits on there for anybody and everybody. And as I was going to say, the other part is that I've reached out to a number of NFL quarterbacks and college quarterbacks. And I think ego prevents them from really diving in and learning the game from someone or willing to to take their time and and come to somebody that's played the game, that teaches the game, that understands the game. Uh, And I can't ever get anybody to to call and, and work with me. But has all the success. It's not even like you just played and you're yeah. starting from you have accolades, right. success. Yeah. Like it's tangible, right? No one can so, say, well, Kurt Warner, if there's no if you yeah. did it. So this is this is my means of being able to try to, to to connect with those. Like they can go and sign on to my website and you know they can look at all of this stuff and learn the game without ever having to call me or without ever having to tell anybody they don't know. 
um, you know, I, on my YouTube page, I'll break down quarterbacks all the time. And one of the reasons I do it is because, A, I want to teach people through those guys and they're guys that are at the highest level. But there's always a part of me that hopes those videos get back to the players. Yeah. Because I'm not doing it to be critical. I'm not doing it to say, hey, you're not any good. I'm doing it to go, hey, here's where you could be better. Learn, grow, you know, call yeah. me, ask a question. And it's you, you know, get, you're giving back where maybe you didn't get a chance. Like you're doing oh, something yeah. for these guys. Like you didn't have that. So you're giving back. I had a guy like Trent Green that was kind of my guy, but I wasn't afraid to ask questions. I, you know, I wore him out asking questions because he had been in the <laughs> offensive and learning things. But, um, you know, but, you know, and I've seen it work both ways. I've had quarterbacks that have seen my stuff that have reached out to me and asked me to help them. And again, I can't verify this, but I've also had organizations that wouldn't let their quarterback do an interview with me, I believe, because I did a video that critiqued what they were doing on the sure. football field and basically just going, hey, this is what you know, you're doing wrong, this, you know, how you correct it, this is, you know, how, how you're going to be more consistent. And again, my whole goal is that it gets back to the player, not For so sure. the player says, Kurt, you're a jerk, you're critiquing me. So yeah. the player goes, you know what, I want to be great. And he makes valid points. I'm always very conscious that I'm not sitting in a room, uh, you know, that when a play is designed and thrown up on the board for Daniel Jones, I don't know what he's being told. I don't know what the read is that he's supposed to have on the play. I know what I would do. And so I'm always conscious when I, when I break these things down, like I don't know everything they're being taught, but here's what I would do. And so if it gets back to Daniel Jones and he goes, well, the coach told me to do this, that's fine. But also listen to what I'm saying. Does what I'm saying make sense? Yeah, is it, it works. You can apply and you can learn from and you can help. If it doesn't, throw it away. I don't care. But if it helps you, take it grow from it and get better because of it. And so all of these things are the means of why I do what I do. I'm not here to be the old guy that says, oh, I was better than you. And, you know, and, and I know more than you. I don't care. I want all well, these guys to be great. And if actually, I want to be great, it, call me, reach out or use QB Confidential or whatever. If, if I'm not mistaken, there's also scholarship opportunities via the uh, QB Confidential. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I mean, people can get scholarship for it. So like, you know, some of these kids that if they can't afford, you know, to go to a QB, uh, you know, guru or they can't afford whatever, even, you know, whatever the small charge is to be a part of it. Heck, yeah, I, I'm here to just help. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm here to just help guys if they want to be great and uh, they can't afford it. So, you know, people that can, I put some of that back into giving scholarships to people that can't. One of the great ways is that I get people reaching out from other countries that are just starting to learn the game, um, you know, and not a lot of money in the game or they don't come from a well-off background. And they're like, but I just want to learn the game and I want to start playing and, and we're just starting to play in this country. And I'm like, heck yeah. So yeah, there's all kinds of opportunities. I mean, money should not be an issue, but with that being said, I mean, $7.99 a month, I mean, you know, I'm, give up, give up. Yeah, a happy I don't meal. want to take a crack at that. I kind of want to right. you know, right. my, uh, give, up, give up a happy meal or, but you know, for $7.99, like I said, Craig, the first year is set up where you get you get five lessons a week. Um, you know, every week. So I mean, so for $7.99, you get whatever that turns out to be, at least 28, uh, at least uh 20 lessons on all these different things for seven nine. Like, 
It's on. forty. It's forty cents a lesson. That's well, I look, I look at it like, and I'm looking at it like, like, like Kurt just said. Like, even if you don't want eighty percent of it, the twenty that you right. take is twenty percent more than you knew. I'm, exactly. I'm signing up when we, when we, when we, when exactly. we hang up and we're off air because I know that my son will go up in his room and he'll pop on the channel and yeah. he'll, and he'll say, Dad, I don't understand this. And then I'll watch it, and we'll right. we'll learn together. You know, and, and another beautiful practice with them. Another beautiful thing is that you know they get access to ask me questions too. So that's one of the most fun parts is they you know contact my to my email on there, and I get questions all the time. Somebody asked me the other day, what what kind of gloves did I wear when I was playing? You know, I mean, just you know, so you have access to be able to ask questions on on different things as well. So again, it's it's such a no brainer if if and I'm going to say this, if you want to be great, like yeah. there is so much information on there that it's, you know, it's not even fair. It's but for all ages, every age. Yeah. So, Cause I mean, it, it's like a curriculum. So what I do is like, even, you know, if your son never picked up a football before, I'm going to start them on a line, you know, the first day and talk to them about, about technique. And so it's building and growing. So everything builds off of, of everything else and so it's just again but you got to want to be great because there's a lot of information on there like you know i mean if you don't want to be great and you get it and you're like oh my gosh there's so much stuff well you're right i mean it's a lot that goes into it but if you want to be great there's a lot of information that even the highest level quarterback can learn from and, I, and then you know i push my kids because they like it and what i find too is like there's this there's this different level right like first they want to be great but they don't know how then they realize they can be great. And there's a lot of information and it's information overload. And after a while, they just kind of balance out after a while. You know, it takes again, a little while. There, there's so many things that I've thought of in the So a big part of it is like the 799 plan. It takes you day by day. Cool. Like you can get a 999 plan that, that gives you access to everything for the entire year. That's but, right. but, but I set it up that way because, for instance, like the technique stuff. You get a technique lesson every Tuesday. And there's a reason why I want you to take a week in between technique lessons. Practice. I don't want you to take five of those lessons and try to throw them together because now I'm overwhelmed and I can't do it. Yeah. So take a week to learn the lesson and learn what you're doing. So now I've got that down. Now I can add the next piece because that's a problem with the quarterback position. We're trying to throw a million things at them because there's a million things going on. But if you never got the last piece, you're just going to be overwhelmed. So again, set it up with all this in mind that if you follow it the right way, you're going to grow and you're going to learn and you're going to be able to, you know, to make steps no matter what you're doing, whether you're a coach or a player and whether you're at the highest level or you're just starting. Guys, we're all going to chip in like $2.50 and we're going to send this to Daniel Jones. That's what I'm thinking we're going to do. I think Don't forget Peyton you know, Thorne is book, right? Peyton Thorne needs this tell, too. You can tell Daniel Jones to call me and I will give him a free subscription if he wants. So, so like uh, – Who is the scholarship? <laughs> yeah. So, so Kurt, I've had the website, which is nygiantsrush.com for 10 years after the Super Bowl, I made it. The podcast has been around for three years. Unless I get credentials, right? They don't let you in the door or to talk to anybody. In fact, one of our, one of our uh, best moments of this year was I hit it off with Daniel Bellinger and the new, their new tight end the night before he flies to, to New York from San Diego, we do like an hour and a half interview with him. Great guy. I get friendly with his dad, right? And you know, we're just we're having this great relationship. Soon as soon as he gets to camp, 
I can't, I have no access to him anymore. They shut all the, they shut all those guys down. Gotcha. You know, but we can, yeah, but we, well, can, we definitely should consider finding a way to get, get I mean, we'll get, the, listen, we'll get the word out, right? That's the most Trust important thing. I, I, I can get to Daniel. So that's, yeah, that's what, that yeah, you have no problem. He doesn't need our, he doesn't need our help for that. Kurt, it's not like you're not working. <laughs> it's not like you're working 24 seven. Get yeah. some information out there to poor Daniel. He needs some help. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you the speed round, and then I'm going to let you go because you've been kind enough to hang out with us for a while, and uh, it's and it's been a pleasure. Maybe even uh, you know, uh, let us know if uh, if your son's playing. We'll go watch him play. Be, All right, cool appreciate too. it. Appreciate it. All right, speed round. Ten questions. They're all pretty easy. They're all pretty fun. Um, San Antonio Holmes, catch or no catch? <laughs> catch. All right. Uh, you played basketball and baseball as a kid. Which one were you better at? Basketball. I was better at basketball than I was at football. Really? really? Yes. Point guard? No, I actually played – I could play all over, but I played a four. I played a power forward. Really? Yeah. How about that? Well, again, quarterback's a big guy too. So, um, Favorite sports movie as a kid? Hoosiers. I thought you were saying because I said we're close in age. That was mine and until uh remember the Titans. Yeah, remember Titans is good, but Hoosiers was was the best. Uh you get a Hall of Fame vote. What overlooked player are you putting in the hall? Tory Holt. Awesome. Looking out for your boy. That's cool. Yeah, but by the way, fantastic player. So yeah, which yeah, he he should be a lock to get. I actually thought he already was in the Hall of Fame. I that, that's no, Isaac, Isaac Bruce, not, yeah, yeah, Isaac just Bruce yeah. All right, one defensive player you absolutely hated to play against. I don't care what the reason is. Warren Sapp. Dang. Warren Sapp. All right. Walked and dominated. So bad combination. Bad combination. Insult an injury. He probably he probably never shut up the entire no, game. Never. Never. Um, all right. Uh, Shocky, crazy or crazy good? Probably a little of both, but but he, <laughs> but he was but he was crazy good. I mean, he was crazy talented at a time when we didn't have the tight ends that we have now. Yeah, you know, he was one of those guys that kind of ushered that in. But you know, had he been healthy, I think longer. I mean, he could have. He, he was he was a really good player. Really, yeah. Good. I mean, he, I mean, he was a fan favorite for a long time. You know, sometimes yeah. he was his own worst enemy. Sometimes he was hurt. But yeah, yeah, he could he could ball. No, he could play. Uh, favorite sports team as a kid? You said Cowboys, right? Yeah, I mean Cowboys in football, the Bulls in basketball. I was from Iowa, so we didn't have our own sports team. So this, this uh, Field of Dreams in Iowa? It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever? This isn't part of the question. Have you ever been there? I have not. I have not. All right. Just, no. just check it. Um. Uh, all right. What's better on the Giants helmet? The NY. Or the Giants, the logo. Uh, probably the NY. All I right, know. only because they I, had. I don't know if I have a big preference either way, but okay. Yeah. Only because like you know people uh, they went yeah, back to the restaurant. I see it behind you, and it's just I think that's I don't know that's more synonymous. I don't know. I like it. Yeah, well, because this year they changed back to the retro '80s uniforms, but they kept the NY, and everybody's oh. like, "Why don't you give us back the Giants?" Gotcha. Because when you see them play this year, they're going to look like the old, uh, like the old '86 team. They went yeah. with the big, thick stripes. Gotcha. Uh, okay, last two. Favorite QB to watch play now. 
Mm. Like if you're at home, which you probably never are, but if you're home with the fam and you're popping on a TV, like what's a guy you're like, oh, I love watching this guy play. I mean, there's so many. I mean, Tom Brady is always must see TV. Patrick Mahomes is must see T- must see TV. Aaron's awesome. Uh, you know, and a young guy, I love watching Justin Herbert play. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I I love the quarterback position, so I love all the good players. But I mean, those guys are just guys that you know you just marvel at different things that they can do. Yeah, I'm a Herbert guy too. I was hoping to. Yeah, die. I mean, he's just been fun in his first couple of years. I mean, Joe Burrow is another guy that I. He plays the game very much like I played it, so I I love watching him. I mean, Drew, if you'd asked me two years ago, the first person I would have said is Drew um, because Drew, Drew played the game mentally and physically like I did and processed information so quickly, and it was just it was so accurate. I mean, it was just – I love watching guys that play the game that way. Um, and, again, very much how I saw the game when I played. Yeah, I'm always moral that at Breeze because he wasn't a tall guy, but he just yeah. – he just got that thing out, and you know he was always yeah, he was fun to watch. Phenomenal. Um, all right, this is the the home run hitter right here. Okay. All right. It, I, I, you might not if you're not comfortable answering this question because I, I didn't mean to put you in a bad spot. Now that I'm looking at this question. Oh, all right. What are we doing now? Okay. Uh, is Jones back in 2023? Is that like a question that's not appropriate? <laughs> um. I, you can plead the fifth. Probably not appropriate, but just because I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I think the verdict is still out, and I say not appropriate because I, I just want all these guys to succeed. Yeah, uh, I know. And you're, like I, I said, I would say if it's you know based off of what I've seen up to this point, that they're probably not going to sign him to a big deal because I haven't seen enough yet. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't be after this year. But I, I mean. You know, again, if you were asking me based on where he was at as his career, is he going to get a $40 million deal contract? No, he's not going to. But my hope is that he changes that whole thing in a year, uh, new coordinator, new system, and and he can he can be one of those guys. My hope yeah. is that he calls you. That's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just looked no, at the I mean, question and I was it's, like, oh. It's part of my job. But, I mean, it's just, again, we're a year away, and, uh, you know, and I never like to, to say, but – at the same time, you got to analyze the game. And as of right now, what I've seen, he is not a $40 million a year quarterback. But I'll also say there's some guys getting paid $40 million in the league that I don't think are $40 million quarterback. So, uh, you know, so it just, it's all relative. But I, I hope, I hope this is the year that For he sure. settles in and starts to show us at least what he can be as, as a player. We have and this again, if he spends seven ninety nine, he can go to QB Confidential right now and be that player and get go. that contract. Yeah, I'm actually signing up as soon as we're done. I'm not even kidding when I say it. Oh, um, you're going to love it. Um, one, the book is All Things Possible. The movie is American Underdog. I'm pretty sure you could probably get it on every platform now, whether you're on Hulu or yep. Netflix. I'm sure you can get it anywhere. QB Confidential. Um qbconfidential.com so you guys can check that i looked at it i thought it was super cool like you know like i wanted the no, yeah i wanted it's the awesome. play. but even if you're not into playing or coaching the game because that's really what that platform is i do have qb confidential on youtube uh which is is breaking down nfl film and nfl quarterbacks and, and teaching the game from that perspective too so anybody that's listening that you know may not say hey i you know i don't need to learn how to throw a, a, a spiral um you know, but but loves the game. You know, they can they can follow me there at YouTube and, and get a bunch of good content as well. 
This is awesome. Um, so you're in, and you're uh, you're working with the Raiders right now, right? You're covering Raiders. Uh, I'm actually at home right now, so uh, I'm I'm done with all my training camps, and now I'm just kind of gearing up. I got two kids. I've got a son that plays wide receiver at K State, and then the son that's playing quarterback at Temple. So gearing up for their season to start in two weeks, and then the NFL season right after that, and uh, you know we'll we'll be, we'll be all over. Awesome. So you get like a two week, a little bit of vacation to hang with the kids and see what they're doing. A little bit, a little bit, yes. And is, that, is he a fifth-year senior? Yeah, he's in his last year. Yep, exactly. So, he, um, yeah, he's, he's finishing up this year, and so we'll, we'll see where life takes him after that. Awesome, awesome. Well, one, thanks for hanging out with us. This is the Giants Guys, another episode. It's an impromptu, of course, uh, version because we're normally on Tuesdays. But, guys, uh, that's Spartan Mike. That's what we call the belt. You got the belt. You should show him the belt, Zane. Real. You should show him the belt. Show him the belt. He won't be. He will not look at you the same unless you show him the belt. You gotta see. You gotta see the Giants championship belt I have with all the okay. Super Bowls. That's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Only question: is, What did you do to earn it? Uh, nothing. I just paid for it. I've actually done. That. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't count if you just are holding up a really cool belt. But you true. I, would, I would love to. Uh, it's true. I'd love to get it to you. I mean, that belongs to you way more than it does to me. You should have went with Ball Boy. You could have went anywhere. You could have. You know. Yeah. Nothing. No, well, thanks, for hanging, thanks for hanging out with us, Kurt. We're definitely – we hope maybe you'll give Appreciate us some more time, maybe either after the season or we can reconnect with you. Um, and well, uh, I'm going to be all over doing a million different things. But uh, if you can pin me down, then maybe we can uh, we can talk again. I will, uh, I will go back to harassing you in a few months. Hopefully. No, that's not <laughs> all right. right. All right, guys. Have a good one. Have a great season. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, thanks for everything. Thanks, guys. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Kurt Warner – your Super Bowl winning MVP, two-time NFL uh, um, MVP, Hall of Fame class 2017, Kurt Warner. Guys, that was absolutely fantastic. And what I got out of that is that Jones doesn't need a whole lot of stats. He needs to be consistent. He needs to help the team win. He needs to raise the level of play around him. And he needs to make the plays that he's supposed to make. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're listening to the Giants, guys, nygiantsrush.com. Don't forget, we got Leonard Marshall, Ring of Honor, against Dallas. Peace.